STORY VI. OF THE BEST BRITISH SHORT STORIES OF 1922. THIS IS A LIBRIVOX RECORDING. ALL LIBRIVOX RECORDINGS ARE IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN. FOR MORE INFORMATION, OR TO VOLUNTEER, PLEASE VISIT LIBRIVOX.ORG. RECORDING BY DAVID WALES. THE BEST BRITISH SHORT STORIES OF 1922. BY VARIOUS. STORY VI. BROADSHEET BALLAD. BY A. E. COPPERD. From the Dial, 1922. At noon, the Tyler and the Masons stepped down from the roof of the village church, which they were repairing, and crossed over the road to the tavern to eat their dinner. It had been a nice little morning, but there were clouds massing in the south. Sam, the Tyler, remarked that it looked like thunder. The two men sat in the dim little tap-room eating. Bob the Mason, at the same time, reading from a newspaper, an account of a trial for murder. "'I dunno what thunder looks like,' Bob said, "'but I reckon this chap is going to be hung, though I can't rightly say for why. To my thinking, he didn't do it at all. But murder's a bloody thing, and someone ought to suffer for it.' "'I don't think,' spluttered Sam, as he impaled a flat piece of beetroot on the point of a pocket-knife, and prepared to contemplate it with patience until his stuffed mouth was ready to receive it, he ought to be hung. There can be no other end for him, though, with a mob of lawyers like that, and a judge like that, and a jury, too, why, the rope's half round his neck this minute. He'll be in glory within a month. They only have three Sundays, you know, between the sentence and the execution. Well, hark at that rain then a shower that began as a playful sprinkle grew to a powerful steady summer downpour it splashed in the open window and the dim room grew more dim and cool hanging's a dreadful thing continued sam and tis often unjust i've no doubt i've no doubt at all unjust i tell you at majority of trials those who give their evidence mostly knows nothing at all about the matter. Them as knows a lot, they stays at home and don't budge, not likely. No, but why? Why? They has their reasons. I know that. I knows it for truth. Hark at that rain. It's made the room feel cold. They watched the downfall in complete silence for some moments. Hanging's a dreadful thing, Sam at length repeated, with almost a sigh. I can tell you a tale about that, Sam, in a minute, said the other. He began to fill his pipe from Sam's brass box, which was labeled cough lozenges and smelled of paragoric. Just about ten years ago, I was working over in Cotswold country. I remember I'd been into Gloucester one Saturday afternoon, and it rained. I was jogging along home in a carrier's van. I never seen it rain like that afore. No, nor never afterwards, not like that. Brr! It came down, bashing. And we came to a crossroads where there's a public house called the Wheel of Fortune, very lonely and unsheltered it is just there. I seed a young woman standing in the porch awaiting us, 
but the carrier was wet and tired and angry or something and wouldn't stop no room he bawled out to her full up can't take you and he drove on for the love of god mate i says pull up and take that young creature she's she's can't you see but i'm all behind as it is he shouts to me you knows your gospel don't you time and tide wait for no man ah but damn it all they always call for a feller i says with that he turned round and we drove back for the girl she clum in and sat on my knees i squat on a tub of vinegar there was nowhere else and i was right and all she was going on for a berth well the old van rattled away for six or seven miles whenever it stopped you could hear the rain clattering on the tarpaulin or sounding outside on the grass as if it was breathing hard and the old horse steamed and shivered with it i had knowed the girl once in a friendly way a pretty young creature but now she was white and sorrowful and wouldn't say much by and by we came to another crossroads near a village and she got out there good day my gal i says affable like and thank you sir says she and off she popped in the rain with her umbrella up a rare pretty girl quite young i'd met her before a girl you could get uncommon fond of you know but i didn't meet her afterwards she was mixed up in a bad business it all happened in the next six months while i was working round those parts everybody knew of it this girl's name was edith and she had a younger sister agnes their father was old harry mallerton kept the british oak at north caney he stuttered well this edith had a love affair with a young chap william and having a very loving nature she behaved foolish then she couldn't bring the chap up to the scratch nohow by herself and of course she was afraid to tell her mother or father you know how girls are after being so pesky natural they fear oh they do fear but soon it couldn't be hidden any longer as she was living at home with them all so she wrote a letter to her mother dear mother she wrote and told her all about her trouble by all accounts the mother was angry as an old lion but harry took it calm like and sent for young william who'd not come at first he lived close by in the village so they went down at last and fetched him all right yes he said i'll do what's lawful to be done there you are i can't say no fairer that i can't no they said you can't so he kissed the girl and off he went promising to call in and settle affairs in a day or two the next day agnes which was the younger girl she also wrote a note to her mother telling her some more strange news god above the mother cried out can it be true both of you girls my own daughters and by the same man oh whatever were you thinking on both of you whatever can be done now what ejaculated sam both on em both on em as true as god's my mercy both on em same chap ah mrs mallerton was afraid to tell her husband at first for old harry was the devil born again 
when he were roused up. So she sent for young William herself, who'd not come again, of course, not likely. But they made him come. Oh, yes, when they told the girl's father. Well, may I go to my d -d -d damnation at once, roared old Harry. He stuttered, you know. At once, if that ain't a good one. So he took off his coat, he took up a stick, he walked down street to William and cut him off his legs. Then he beat him till he howled for his mercy, but you couldn't stop old Harry once he were roused up. He was the devil born again. They do say as he beat him for a solid hour. I can't say as to that, but then old Harry picked him up and carried him off to the British Oak on his own back and threw him down in his own kitchen between his own two girls like a dead dog. They do say that the little one, Agnes, flew at her father like a raging cat until he knocked her senseless with a clout overhead. Rough man he was. Well, a called for it sure, commented Sam. Her did, agreed Bob. But she was the quietest known girl for miles round these parts, very shy and quiet. A shady lane breeds mud, said Sam. What do you say? Oh, ah, mud, yes. But pretty girls both, girls you could get very fond of, skin like apple bloom, and as like as two pinks they were. They had to decide which of them William was to marry. Of course, ah. I'll marry Agnes, says he. You'll not, says the old man. You'll marry Edie. No, I won't, William says. It's Agnes I love, and I'll be married to her, or I won't be married to either of em. All the time Edith sat quiet, dumb as a shovel, never a word, crying a bit. But they do say the young one went on like a young Jew, the Jezebel, commented Sam. You may say it, but wait, my man, just wait. Another cup of beer? We can't go back to church until this humbug and rain have stopped. No, that we can't. It's my belief the bug and rain won't stop this side of four, and if the roof don't hold it off, it'll all spoil the Lord's commandments that's just done up on the chancel front. Oh, but they be dry by now, spoke Bob reassuringly, and then continued his tale. I'll marry Agnes, or I won't marry nobody, William says, and they couldn't budge him. No, old Harry cracked on, but he wouldn't have it, and at last Harry says, It's like this. He pulls a half-crown out of his pocket, and heads it's Agnes, he says, or tails it's Edith, he says. Never! Ah! Ah! cried Sam. Heads it's Agnes, tails it's Edie, so help me God. And it come down Agnes. Yes, heads it was, Agnes. And so there they were. And they lived happily ever after? Happy? You don't know your human nature, Sam. Wherever was you brought up? Heads it's Agnes, said old Harry, and at that Agnes flung her arms around William's neck and was for going off with him then and there. Ha! But this is how it happened about that. 
William hadn't any kindred, he was a lodger in the village, and his landlady wouldn't have him in her house one mortal hour when she heard all of it. Give him the right about, there and then. He couldn't get lodgings anywhere else, nobody would have anything to do with him, so of course, for safety's sake, old Harry had to take him, and they all lived together at the British Oak, all in one happy family. But they girls couldn't abide the sight of each other, so their father cleaned up an old outhouse in his yard that was used for carts and hens, and put William and his Agnes out in it, and there they had to bide. They had a couple of chairs, a sofa, and a bed, and that kind of thing, and the young one made it quite snug. Twas a hard thing for that other, that Edie, Bob. It was hard, Sam, in a way, and all this was happening just afore I met her in the carrier's van. She was very sad and solemn then, a pretty girl, one you could like. Ah, you may choke me, but there they lived together. Edie never opened her lips to either of them again, and her father sided with her, too. What was worse, it came out after the marriage that Agnes was quite free of trouble. It was only a trumped-up game between her and this William, because he fancied her better than the other one. And they never had no child, them two, though when poor Edie's mischance come along, I be damned if Agnes weren't fonder of it than his own mother, a jolly sight more fonder, and William, he fair worshipped it. You don't say. I do. Twas a rum go, that, and Agnes worshipped it, a fact. Can prove it by scores of people to this day, scores in them parts. William and Agnes worshipped it, and Edie, she just looked on, long of it all, in the same house with them, though she never opened her lips again to her young sister to the day of her death. Ah, she died. Well, it's the only way out of such a tangle, poor woman. You're sympathizing with the wrong party, Bob filled his pipe again from the brass box. He ignited it with deliberation. Going to the open window, he spat into a puddle in the road. The wrong party, Sam. "'Twas Agnes that died. She was found on the sofa one morning, stone dead, dead as a adder. "'God bless me,' murmured Sam. "'Poisoned,' added Bob, puffing serenely. "'Poisoned!' Bob repeated the word, poisoned. "'This was the way of it,' he continued. "'One morning the mother went out in the yard to collect her eggs, "'and she began calling out, "'Edie, Edie!' Here a minute, come and look where that hen have laid her egg. I would never have believed it, she says. And when Edie went out, her mother led her round the back of the outhouse, and there on the top of a wall this hen had laid an egg. I would never have believed it, Edie, she says. Scooped out a nest there, beautiful, ain't she? I wondered where her was laying. T'other morning the dog brought an egg round in his mouth and laid it on the doormat. There now, Aggie, Aggie, here a minute. Come and look where the hen have laid that egg. And as Aggie didn't answer, the mother went in and found her on the sofa, in the outhouse, stone dead. How'd they count for it? 
asked Sam, after a brief interval. "That's what brings me to the point about this young feller that's going to be hung," said Bob, tapping the newspaper that lay upon the bench. "I don't know what would lie between two young women in a wrangle of that sort. Some would get over it quick, but some would never sleep soundly any more, not for a minute of their mortal lives. Edie must have been one of that sort. There's people living there now as could tell a lot if they'd a mind to it. Some knowed all about it, could tell you the very shop where Edith managed to get hold of the poison, and could describe to me or to you just how she administered it in a glass of barley water. Old Harry knew all about it. He knew all about everything, but he favored Edith, and he never budged a word. Clever old chap was Harry, and nothing came out against Edie at the inquest, nor the trial, either. Was there a trial, then? There was a kind of a trial, naturally, a beautiful trial. The police came and fetched poor William. They took him away, and in due course he was hanged. William? But what had he got to do with it? Nothing. It was rough on him, but he hadn't played straight, and so nobody struck up for him. They made out a case against him. There was some unlucky bit of evidence which I'll take my oath old Harry knew something about, and William was done for. Ah, when things take a turn against you, it's as certain as twelve o'clock when they take a turn. You get no more chance than a rabbit from a weasel. It's like dropping your matches into a stream. You needn't waste the bending of your back to pick them out. They're no good on. They'll never strike again. And Edith, she sat in court through it all, very white and trembling and sorrowful. But when the judge put his black cap on, they do say she blushed and looked across at William and gave a bit of a smile. Well, she had to suffer for his doings, so why shouldn't he suffer for hers? That's how I look at it. But God Almighty! Yes, God Almighty knows. Pretty girls they were, both, and as like as two pinks. There was quiet for some moments, while the tiler and the mason emptied their cups of beer. I think, said Sam then, the rains give over now. Ah, that it has, cried Bob. Let's go and do a bit more on this buggin' church, or she won't be done afore Christmas. End of Story 6